Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode 1436 entitled What a World. Our podcast title is Apocalypse High. Now, I'm Rob Jan, and our co-pilot, Megan McHugh, is on shore leave this week, and we'll swap seats in the away team shuttlecraft next week when Megan will be soloing. Now, just to remind you that this year's Triple R April Amnesty Drive to subscribe has the theme Forget Me Not, in case you've forgotten. So we are encouraging you to subscribe or resubscribe, as the case may be, so Triple R can continue to organically grow so you go to the website at rrr.org.au and follow the prompts to help the station enlarge itself and zero g will continue to grow like the invasive alien crinoid that it is you can also call zero three nine three double eight one zero two seven in business hours, not on public holidays <laughs> like it is today. Uh, and if you've already subscribed, how about a bit of a donation? dot org dot au backslash donate. All right, many things are possible at the moment, and we're looking at an Australian genre television show which is streaming on Prime Video, eight 30-minute episodes. It's called Class of 07, as in 2007. It's a gem of a series, and I'm so glad that I stumbled across uh, across it. Stumbling over my words there, as well as across the show. Ridge Heights Catholic Ladies College's Class of 2007 gets together for a never-ending high school reunion when their mountaintop school becomes isolated in a sudden aquatic apocalypse. And look, we've only just reviewed the science fiction series The Rig, and I can't help but think of this as kind of a comedic Antipodean sequel to that, considering how that ends. Oh, spoilers. So what do we have here in the rather ironically overpopulated post-app genre? Do we have mould, spore-contaminated zombies? No. Do we have the swimming dead? Well, not really. Or Zomboat down under? Again, no. It's actually eight episodes of cleverly written comedy that focuses upon a group of women who have considerable history of each other and nowhere to escape to when they're trapped at their 10 years after graduation school reunion, so the never-ending reunion from hell. There are two big themes to this. One, shipping. 
And this is appropriate in context of the sort of water world type eco-tastrophe that they're trapped in. And by shipping, I mean relationshipping. This actually turns out to be way more interesting than I thought it would, as it's a very, very deep dive into the murky depths of teenage girls' interactions with each other at high school, which is something that I only know about myself from watching assorted anime and Buffy the Vampire Slayer episodes, which may not be the most reliable guides in the world. Or are they? IDK. Amusingly, it seems just as much of a revelation for the now grown-up women themselves, seen through their adult perspective a decade after they've escaped from the living hell of college. Theme number two. It's comedy, but surprisingly well worked out in many aspects, and it's a riff on apocalypse survivalism. Very, very pragmatic and practical, I thought. You know, where the need to dig long drop toilets and feed everyone and restore electrical power and even keep the hairdryers running competes with amateur boat building and the sudden primacy of the science geeks and school rowing squad. Everyone has their day. So Class of Seven is an Australian comedy television series created by Casey Anning. And it's pretty much an all-female ensemble comedy series. And it's filmed in and around Sydney. Matchbox Pictures are the producers, although it is on Prime TV. Uh, And Matchbox are a film and TV production house based in Sydney, Melbourne and Singapore. It's now owned by NBC Universal. Uh, They did things like the fantasy series Nowhere Boys, The Book of Shadows, which was adapted from thinking of that, I reckon. And, oh, definitely... uh, The Slap in 2016, fairly prominent mainstream production in Australian genre. And uh, also they've done a few reality TV shows, uh, The Real Housewives of Melbourne, and worked on the, in conjunction with assorted other companies, uh, La Brea, the US science fiction series. Now Casey Anning has done quite a bit in television and a little bit in film as well. And she directed the prime comedy series Upload, which had um, Greg Daniels from The Office and Parks and Recreation as its showrunner. And Upload is actually a science fiction series too, I should mention. Well, you probably gather that from the title. It's got a lot to do with online longevity and recreating human beings in a digital form. Uh, She also worked on the Disney Plus comedy Diary of a Future President as well as Matt O'Keen's breakup comedy The Other Guy. There's also a a television series called Hardball that she directed um, which won quite a few awards including an Emmy Award and uh, it's set in a school, not surprisingly, so maybe a little bit of a, a connection there. So this is Class of 07, and you can find it on Prime at the moment. So what will we play as a track here? Well, here on Zero G, we mostly know the Canadian rock band Bare Naked Ladies for the Big Bang Theory title theme as well as for the 1998 song I'm about to play, which has been parodied by Weird Al Yankovic to their eternal 
fame, I should imagine. So, now, with this song, it's also featured in an episode of Class of 07, and hence firing it up for the retro play today. And we'll talk a little bit more about it after I've lifted it off. I'd say the turntable, but I am actually using our whiz-bang Bowie system here. So there's no turntable involved. Maybe a few pixels revolving around somewhere. Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation Starship Voyager. Zero-G is fun, as you were. Yeah. We had a bit of a free association classic there, lightly riffing off the idea of a bickering couple chewing over an issue for a week or so. But it's really just a sketchy framework to hang the free associated pop culture riffs upon. Everything from the X-Files episodes the band used to watch on tour through to a complicated reference that somehow managed to encompass both avian flu and rapper Buster Rhymes' first big appearance in a Tribe Called Quest song scenario. And, of course, it was Bare Naked Ladies one week, parodied by Weird Al, Big Bang theorists, and they even once collaborated musically with Chris Hadfield while he was orbiting the Earth in the International Space Station. And we'll match orbits with that one a little later, too. But for the moment, we're just talking about Class of... 07, which is a streaming series on Prime at the moment, and it's eight episodes of Wacky. Um, no, we won't go there. It's actually a quite intelligent and sophisticated little comedy series about a group of school reunionists who are now trapped on the high ground, not with Anakin Skywalker or Obi-Wan Kenobi, but with... Only their wits and pure talent to survive upon. Not very much, actually. They're surrounded by water. They can fish, of course, and a few other things. But basically, they're stuck on this mountaintop with no idea what's out there in the submerged world. It's actually quite a good show. And because I was saying before that it's basically about shipping, which is to say relationshipping between the assorted now-grown schoolgirls. Um, the characterizations in this are excellent, and although they are a little bit tropey, I kind of feel like, after having watched the whole series, that that's deliberate, because they actually do break out of those tropes and successfully expand the parameters of them while they're doing so. So let's go for some of the characters here. Emily Browning plays Zoe Miller. Now, this is kind of riffing off Matchbox's, the production house's experience with reality TV, I reckon. Um, Zoe has had an awful moment on national television. Basically, <laughs> a dove pooed in her mouth while she was having a meltdown on this sort of, uh, uh, you know, marriage show with her partner that she's not really interested in. And so it's all gone viral, basically. And so she's, ever since she's been hauling up in her dad's caravan in the country with her mobile phone sealed in a Ziploc bag because the social media repercussions have been terrifying. So she actually has been on social meteor, so to speak, on an express train to avian hell. 
Now, Zoe was the school radio DJ too, which kind of endears her to me even further. Emily Browning really inhabits this role. An Australian actress, uh, she was born in Melbourne and she's been in uh, the television film The Echo of Thunder back in 1998, been in High Flyers, Something in the Air and Blue Heelers. So, you know, a lot of that sort of traditional sort of grounding in Australian drama. Uh, Her Breakthrough film, though, was uh, in 2002 in the horror film Ghost Ship, and that sort of brought her to the attention of a much larger audience. Now, she was also in the film Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events in 2004, playing the character of Violet. Got an Affy for that one, International Award for Best Actress. We've also seen her in Sucker Punch in 2011, won't hold that against her, and The Uninvited in 2009. So she's done quite a few in the horror genre. Uh, She was in the film Pompeii and Legend in 2015. And in American Gods, she played the character Laura Moon. So quite a few bits and pieces she's done as Emily. And she is, let's call her the sort of main point of view character. And she interacts a lot with... Megan Smart, who plays Amelia. Now, this is one of those classic relationships in school. They were best friends forever until they weren't. And there's a big story behind that that gets opened up and peeled apart as we go through the series. Now, Amelia has got a half-finished online law degree. She's been living on a farm and farming... um, Peanuts, if uh, memory serves me, which they could probably do with a few of in their isolated mountaintop retreat. Now, she's on antidepressants and there's a complicated story that goes along with that as well. And the relationship between the two women is quite amazingly detailed, I thought, And, and it rings very true. And as well as being quite funny at times. Well, this is a comedy after all. Now, this wouldn't be a high school without some kind of kickback and kickback to the school bully or the one who everybody sort of looked up to whilst trying to escape her gaze. Caitlin Stacey plays Saskia, who's now a startup executive of some kind of uh, company. She used to be the Queen Bee, basically, the school captain. Um, she's really kind of walked back from that in a lifetime until she decides and it's demanded that she once again steps up. Caitlin has this incredible malevolent grin that is actually quite frightening. She reminds me a little bit of Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine when she smiles. It's not a pretty sight. (laughs) Caitlin is an Australian actress and singer. She played a role in Neighbours, which means nothing to me, but may probably mean something to you. Rachel Kinsky was the character. Uh, she was in the Sleepover Club and had a breakthrough role in Tomorrow When the War Began, that science fiction film, we call it that. Um, and she played uh, the lead antagonist in that, uh, Ellie Linton. She's also been in the horror film Laura Hasn't Slept, the short film, and then had a brief role as the same character in the feature film Smile, which came out in 2002. Another 
Melburnian by birth is Caitlin. And I thought her character arc was fascinating as well. The, the bully who has now become sort of self-reflective and understands something of what she did back in her school days. I, again, i just got to say, this fascinated me, the way this all played out. I had no idea that it was such a, a deep dive into this kind of thing. Um, she was also in the horror comedy All Cheerleaders Must Die and I Frankenstein too. So lots of things there. Playing off her character is the former caretaker school captain, and she's so proud of it, Claire Lovering playing the character of Genevieve. And look, she was basically the school narc. Uh, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that in this context because the school was quite... <laughs> I won't say it was like Centrinians or anything like that, but uh, it has its its moments as uh, revealed throughout the series of Class of 07. Uh, Claire Lovering uh, was in um, Brad Payton's San Andreas opposite Dwayne Johnson, um, if I recall correctly. So you will also find a character called Brene in this show. She's a nail technician pretending to be a doctor, and that doesn't end particularly well at times. Emma Horn plays that character. And then there's Phoebe, played by Steph Tisdall, who's a, a scholarship girl uh, who had to sell her blood to be able to afford to go on the ski trip. Now she's um, an internet uh, nerd and an um, uh, online trader. And basically, if you think of her character as something like a Ferengi from Star Trek, you wouldn't go too far wrong. Now, I'm just skating through these characters, but we really do get to know a lot about them. And they reveal and resolve many of their story arcs throughout this series. We've got um, uh, Chi Nguyen playing Megan and Bernie Van Teel Tegan. Megan and Tegan are the two school druggies. kind of a little bit like Jesse and Walter White. No, nothing like that at all. And, you know, they have a a story arc too. And and also unpack their own relationships within the context of the apocalypse. We've got Sandy, played by Sarah Krindija, who's an American influencer with her dog online. She's got a million followers. She was an exchange student and copped a lot of flack from the locals. Uh, which is a, a sad indictment of Australian racism when you think about it. And at the same time, Sandy's fairly obnoxious too early on in this show. So, you know, uh, how is she going to turn out uh, being subjected to the rigours of an apocalypse and a survival situation? Now, here's a name I haven't seen in a long time and I'm so pleased to have seen her in this show. Deborah Lawrence plays Sister Bicky, one of the um, the teachers at the school. And, no, she's been in a lot of things, uh, home and away. Again, this is not something I would know about, um, but in a more modern context, please like me. Um, She was in that too. And, you know, she was another Melbourneian. So back in 1976, she was at NIDA with uh, Mel Gibson and Steve Bisley, Judy Davis and Robert Menzies and so on. I've been in Skyway, Sullivan's, again, you know, all of those touchstones of Australian drama, the Ned Kelly series, The Last Outlaw. But I first really recognised her in her role in the ABC television series, 
the Fast Lane back in 1985. It was only two seasons, but it was created by the amazing John Clark and Andrew Knight. And Deborah played the character of Pat, the receptionist to two absolutely clueless private eyes who operated in Melbourne in the back streets. It was a great series and I have heard that it does actually still exist in the ABC archives. It hasn't actually been erased or anything like that and it would be great if they would uh, reissue that somehow in the future. An awesome thing. So Deborah Lawrence is in this too. And that was, you know, for people who watched that, the Fast Lane series, it was a, an amazing thing. Look, I'll shut up about that. I don't want to be too demonstrative. All right. So all of these characters swim together or sink, depending upon the proclivities of the characters. They have grown a lot since their school days, but they're also pulled back into it. It's actually a kind of a formula that I think works really well in this context. You know, you get this sort of thing where you get a group of people thrown together in, say, a zombie apocalypse. And, you know, not many, many, many of them know each other and usually a lot of them are unrelated. But here, everybody knows each other or they think they do. And they've all got issues to work through from their school days. And I thought that worked really well in this context. So it's called Class of 07. So let's have another track here now. And uh, it's called, it's from Zombie Prom. Now, I was quite delighted to find out about this. I'm a bit of a fan of the darker musicals. It's an off-Broadway one. Uh, music by Dana P. Rowe and book and lyrics by John Dempsey. Didn't do particularly well, though it was adapted into a short film at one stage, directed by Vince Marcello. And this came out in uh, 1993. And, you know, it's one of those typical stories about a, a high school, a prom night and zombies. Uh, there's a, I think what was the, uh, the high school called? The Enrico Fermi High School or something like that. And there's a nuclear reactor involved. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I don't think it's too complicated, really, when you think about it. So let's have a, a track from the original off-Broadway cast of Zombie Prom. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. Yeah, that's what they're saying at least. I don't know for sure, 100%, but, you know, that's what all the smart people say. They don't get much smarter than Terry Pratchett back in the day. Now, we had a track there from uh, Zombie Prom, from the original off-Broadway musical cast of that back in uh, 1990. Free. Well, it's 96. Didn't have a, a long run, but, you know, it's one of those shows that I quite enjoyed at the discovery of. Now, just looking at a show called Class of 07, an Australian show, and it's streaming on Prime at the moment and if you wanted to check it out 
you'd have to watch eight whole episodes, but they're only 30 minutes each, so it's a handy little show. The vibe I was getting from it actually was a bit Red Dwarf when I watched it. Uh, Really clever comedy, lots of interesting characters, sort of in a bottle show because they're all stranded on a mountaintop during a watery apocalypse. So I thought, yeah, this has got that whole thing going for it. And the idea of having it pretty much inclusive of an entire ensemble cast of women, I thought made it sing quite well. So, you know, the apocalypse, no power, no phone signal, no socials, no internet. And there's a a whole scenario going on out there beyond the island, uh, deftly checking in on a, you know, a few lines of really perfect dialogue when they get around to mentioning it. And you have to listen to what they're saying because it's really funny at times. You know, there's some episodic kind of tropes that they roll through um, the time when they decide to have uh, their own trial to deal with certain uh, transgressions within the school. Um, you know, they basically go Lord of the Flies, or Law of the Flies in this case, with, uh, let me see, a pokeroo court, basically, in the apocalypse, that's taken remarkably seriously by the characters, which is even funnier. You know, and, and the bit where they manage to generate power, actually quite clever, I thought. And then the usages that they put to put it to after they've developed it. So, yeah, all of that hums along in the background quite Effectively, and every now and then rises up just as the water does to inundate the land to bring itself back to our attention. So, note perfect in a lot of ways. Great acting, good dialogue, well directed, I thought. Does it take a little while to get into play? Yeah, it does, but that's because there's a lot of characters in it, no fault of the actual show. So, yeah, watch it for you know one episode and then you'll be dragged into two and then so on and it really powers up to a a terrific ending I thought could it have a second season yeah easily I would love to see a second season of this one put into production not quite sure how it would work out but you know I reckon that they'd be able to bring it to us so okay it's called class of 07 and it's on prime now I mentioned before when we played the bare naked ladies song one week, that we might want to put in together a bit of a, another track for you. And this is called ISS, which is an acronym for Is Someone Singing? Now, it's written by Bare Naked Ladies frontman Ed Robertson and astronaut Chris Hadfield. And they played it in a live collaboration between the Bare Naked Ladies on the ground and Hadfield in orbit in the International Space Station. There are choral contributions by the singers from Toronto's Wexford Collegiate School for the Arts. So ISS is someone singing to take us out of our look at Class of 07. Hi, this is Richard E. Grant, and you're listening to Triple R. Cheers and chin-chin. Yeah, You know, this is the thing about Triple R. We're providing a voice for many otherwise unheard and unrepresented unrepresented artists. Well, maybe not for Chris Hadfield. He's got the high ground there with 
the ISS, is somebody singing aboard the International Space Station back in the day with the Bare Naked Ladies who were on the ground. So it was like this orbital collaboration. They also had the Toronto Wexford Collegiate School for the Arts providing some background vocals as well. Right, moving on from Class of 07, but before I do, I will do <laughs> a meta service. There's a, a character in there who's sort of forgotten, and it's play, she's played by Rose Flanagan, and I just wanted to make sure that she got a shout-out, because otherwise it would be too meta to forget her in the cast listing too. And she plays the role of the character who everyone seems to dismiss and not know about and forget about perfectly. You know, it's just sort of this, oh, my God, I'm so put upon because nobody actually knows me. So, yeah, just one I wanted to call out there. Now, moving on to a Marvel television show, an animated one. It's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. There's a bit of history to this. You can find it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Devil Dinosaur, well... Here's exactly what it says on the scaly tin. Uh, came out in 1978, created by Jack Kirby uh, in one of his stints with Marvel Comics as he oscillated between Marvel and DC and actually kind of riffing off the Commandy Last Boy on Earth comics that he did for DC. Marvel wanted something a little bit kind of similar, so he came up with this idea of a dinosaur like a Tyrannosaurus who's been through fire in prehistory and that's triggered sort of superpowers amongst the dinosaur. Well, that's a that's a retro retcon backstory that they put into it. At the time, he teamed up with a primitive humanoid called Moon Boy and they become like inseparable best buddies. Moon Boy provided most of the brains and Devil Dinosaur who was bright red in colour because of aforementioned fire, provided all of the brawn, pretty much. And this didn't actually last that long as a comic book, you know, a few months, so when they were out. But it's been resurrected thereafter in Marvel Comics, the character of Devil Dinosaur, ever since um, being brought into the contemporary Marvel Comics universe and now appearing in an animated series. Uh, that's just to quickly encapsulate a very long career for Devil Dinosaur. Um, but it's too long a tale, shall we say, to fit in the room today. Now, Moon Girl um, is uh, a superhero and she appeared in 2015. And back then, um, she was Lunella Lafayette operating in the lower east side of Manhattan in that already overcrowded Cape space in the Marvel Universe. And she was nine years old back then and had been described as the smartest character in any room in the Marvel Universe, not excluding Reed Richards and Tony Stark and Hank Pym. And uh, she ends up becoming paired with Devil Dinosaur, who appears through a portal in the comic book and in the series now, the animated series. So, you know, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur ran for quite a few issues of comic books. Moon Girl herself is kind of a bit like um, Inspector Gadget, and uh, but not 
anywhere near as clueless as the inspector was. So picture a young girl with lots of gadgets that she's created herself, partnered with this giant dinosaur in the lower east side of Manhattan. And the, the gimmick is that uh, a lot of the times he can travel through the subways and the sewers unnoticed. Yeah, right. And other times they're out at, at about at night. And other times, well, you know, there's the people of New York, they don't care. <laughs> you know, it's just an, another day. It's Tuesday. It's another day in the Marvel Universe for them to have a dinosaur stalking around. And he's pretty much housebroken. He doesn't uh, tend to chomp on nice people, at least. A little bit like um, Old Lace in the Runaways series, but much bigger and actually a lot more useful because Old Lace doesn't get to do a whole lot in the Runaways series, at least in the, uh, the, the television show. But Devil Dinosaur certainly is quite handy to have, um, basically in the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur television show, which is... Created by American animator Stephen Lotter. Seen his work before in shows like Kim Possible. Kate Condell is one of the triptych of creators for the show. And she worked on Elena of Avalor, Legally Blonde 2, and Phineas and Ferb the movie, as did Jeffrey Howard, the third showrunner, who was... Um, another American writer and producer. Uh, apart from the Phineas movie, he also worked on Escape from L.A. and Planes in 2013. So they've upgraded Lunella a bit for the animated series. Um, uh, she's about uh, she's in her teens now. And, you know, she operates in a kind of a, a space that's very familiar to us from watching Ms. Marvel. You know, so this is a kind of a family-orientated show, uh, quite literally, because she's got a mum and a dad and a, you know, grandparents and so on. And she's played by Diamond White, the singer and actress. More about that in a moment. So this is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. The series it's on Disney Plus, and Diamond White, being a singer, and she's much older than Lunella. She's you know a grown up, and she has got her own discography. And we'll play you a track from the album Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the soundtrack. And this is Moon Girl Magic, as sung by Lunella Lafayette or Diamond White in AKA in her secret identity as an actual person voice acting the character of Lunella. Hello, my name's Sylvester McCoy. I play Doctor Who number seven, and you're listening to me, and you're also listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, Moon Girl Magic there, Diamond White, who also voices the character of Moon Girl in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the animated series on Disney+. Plus. So what are we dealing with here? Well, Diamond White is an American singer and actress and uh, came to fame in the X Factor reality TV show, singing show. Uh, also has voiced characters in Transformers, the animated series The Lion Guard and has roles in CBS soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful. So lots of different 
strings to her bow. Now, she also appeared in the, um, the Big Bang Theory once too, I seem to remember, um, as well as uh, this new Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur series. So she's a grown-up playing a 13-year-old girl, but that's all right. She's doing it in vocal sense. So here's the thing. It's basically doing what Ms. Marvel did um, for Pakistani people and Muslim people in its particular place in uh, New Jersey, in Jersey City. This one is set in the LES, the Lower East Side of New York, and it's basically an African-American uh, series based, revolves around that particular community. Lanella is a 13-year-old schoolgirl and she has lots of adventures with Devil Dinosaur and the whole idea is that it's a superhero show with a, a young prodigy and also a great big giant red dinosaur. So Fred Tadeschior plays Devil Dinosaur in The Voice. Um, obviously, Devil has to eat something and can't chew on too many people. Uh, so he's been given the uh, the saving grace of being absolutely mad on hot dogs. A little bit like Scooby-Doo and the Scooby Snacks, really. Uh, Tataskio is an American voice actor who we have heard so many times in both DC and Marvel <laughs> context on, in animated shows. Uh, the Hulk, the Beast, Solomon Grundy, Yosemite Sam, lots of things. Too many to list here. Other voice actors you will hear are Alfred Woodard, who we saw in Captain America Civil War. Of course, she was in Star Trek First Contact and also recently in The, uh, the Grey Man opposite um, Chris Evans. But, um, you know, she's been around for a very long time, including a big stint in the MCU where she portrayed uh, the black Mariah Dillard Stokes in the Netflix series Luke Cage. So she's been around a bit in the Marvel context as well. Uh, Sashir Zamata plays Lanella's mother, who I should say is a DJ and also gets um, to play the voice of a supervillain too because, you know, voice actors are quite versatile. And she was better known, Sashir that is, better known for the SNL series from 2014 to 2017. So we've also got uh, Gary Anthony Williams playing Lunella's grandfather. And, you know, then you start getting into the exotic <laughs> character actors. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne plays the Beyonder, which is a, a, um, what we call him a cosmic trickster. Not quite as self-aware and as cheeky as Loki and a little bit clueless in some context. He gets to uh, provide some background information for Lanella's foes, a little bit like the Watcher in Marvel context. But, you know, I'm looking at the list of people in the the cast here as voice actors. Alison Brie plays Aftershock. Um, we saw her as Trudy in Mad Men and, of course, her role of Annie in the Community series, you know, the um, Russo Brothers comedy show. Uh, along the way, we also have Jennifer Hudson um, and David Diggs playing the Rat King, a humanoid rat villain. 
So, you know, there's a lot of people in here that you would not expect to find, including some actual uh, Marvel actors, as we said before, but Kobe Smulders reprises her role as Agent Maria Hill. And do I see Wesley Snipes and Peter Weller's names in the credits? Yes, I do. So, you know, this is no mucking around. It plays a bit like the animated uh, into the welcome into the Spider Verse movie, which has got its own um, see, uh, own movie franchise now because it's the second movie. Uh, you know the turf is the Lower East Side, so you've got a, a space to work in, so you get some familiar kind of environment. And the animation in parts it reminds me. You remember the animated sequences in Ms Marvel where she'd walk along the streets and you'd see things happening on buildings done in an animated form to shout out to the comic book format. Well, this one reminds me of that writ large as well as in that uh, Spider-Verse movie too. So, you know, in some ways it's a bit of a neon city. Uh, Lunella's family runs a roller skating rink, which gives us a central location to base things around. And she has her lab, of course she has a lab, under her apartment in an abandoned subway station. That makes me wonder if she'll run into the Ninja Turtles at some stage. So I thought this was a great little show. Uh, it's not just superhero battles, although basically that's the main premise of it. They're, they're trying to educate you as well. Oh, <laughs> you know, what would a an animated series for kids be, really, if it didn't get in a few telling shots at the real world? Um, the second episode actually gets into an actual internet troll who lives under a bridge, and I thought that was a, a deftly done one. I thought that them playing to the idea that Lunella is an excellent MacGyver, sort of a, a combat engineer, as it were, able to whip up anything on the fly, quite literally in these cases, and that she works well with Devil Dinosaur along the way too. Um, in the comic books, she actually can trade minds with Devil, so she becomes like a little girl who's a dinosaur and Devil becomes her, but with her brain so it can i don't know if they're going to go there yet i haven't watched the rest of the series of moon girl and devil dinosaur marvel animated series you know there's some stuff in here that i thought was really really clever and that's what i like in an animated series okay it's pitched a little young for me to fully enjoy it but you know with most animated kids series now they're always trying to be inclusive because partly to save the sanity of the adults who have to watch it with their kids. But I had no problem with this at all. It sort of slides easily across your brain as a pretty good little animated series. If I was a kid, I would have loved this to pieces back in the day with no reservations at all. All right, Disney Plus, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So we'll go out with a track today from that. And this is actually a Lawrence Fishburne track. And it's called The Beyonder. And Lawrence Fishburne was shown the Devil Dinosaur Moon Girl comic book, thought it was pretty good, and said, let's produce this. So he got involved as an executive producer, as well as being a voice actor for the character of The Beyonder. Oh, that's a pretty cool take. Lawrence Fishburne in there. What a mix. All right, now... That's about it for Zero G. Joe Brunetic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. 
And there's no time at all today, but check out Schmigadoon, Schmicago, which has dropped on Apple Plus. The first two episodes are dropped, and you will not be disappointed. It's just as much fun as the first musical parody series, Schmigadoon. Okay, we're going to go out with The Beyonder, voiced by none other than Lawrence Fishburne. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.